Well, let's first of all bow and we're going to pray and ask God to help us as we come to the Bible. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing word. We thank you that it is powerful and relevant and incisive. And we pray that you would grant us your grace and help today to understand it. And not just to understand it in our heads, but to apply it to our lives. We pray that we might obey it and that we might uh, continue to trust you and follow you as a result of hearing your word uh, taught today. Help me, Lord, today, and uh, help all of us uh, to, to deal with your word in a good way. And we, we ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, we're coming to Titus uh, chapter 2, and a little bit into chapter 3. This is, uh, we were going to do Titus in three sessions, and this is number 10. So, uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm not sorry, really. But uh, this morning, I, I picked up Dawn from her house, and um, uh, this morning, they've been watching on the TV some programme, some church, and, uh, and Dawn's husband, Ian, said to Dawn, now that Jonesy has got an apprentice and an assistant going to start in August, maybe he should wear a purple dress like the man on the, on the TV in the church there. And I thought, how relevant that is to my uh, talk this morning. Um, very often, uh, it is the case in some churches, and I'm not criti- criticising this, that, that the, the, the man at the front will wear a, a sort of uh, uniform or some garments, and one of the reasons for that is that it expresses his authority, doesn't it? Um, the, the laity or the, or the people in the congregation, and, and there's the man at the front dressed in the clothes of religious authority. So that comment this morning on the way to church was very relevant because I want to think with you this morning about the whole subject of authority. That is because in verse 15... Uh, Paul, writing to Titus, says, Titus, these then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So you're in for it this morning. (laughs) This is a preacher talking about how a congregation should relate to a preacher. So that's a challenge, isn't it? To encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone, Titus, despise you. Well, in 1997, John Benton wrote a commentary on this letter of Titus. The commentary was based on a series of sermons that he did. And John Benton said, back in 1997, authority is a dirty word in our modern culture. That was, what's that, 14 years ago? And I don't think that's any less true now, isn't it? What springs to mind for you when you hear the word authority? Maybe we should open that up. That's not a rhetorical question. What what do you think of when you hear the word authority? Does it have positive connotations for you or negative connotations for you. What do you think? Both. 
<laughs> you're, you're a diplomat. You should be a politician, not a teacher. Both. <laughs> good, good man. Why, why'd you say both? Okay. Okay, that's very fair. You, sometimes authority can be abused, and uh, and we can uh, have issues with that. So maybe when there's good authority, it's not such a bad thing, but bad authority is not such a good thing. Do you think our modern culture, generally speaking, has a good attitude towards people who are in authority? So the straw poll, yes or no? Do you think our modern culture has a good attitude generally to people in authority? Yes or no? <laughs> okay. That was, and there was a few abstainers there. That, that was pretty overwhelmingly negative. Why, why is it that um, authority can be perceived as a negative thing? Let, let, I just want to ramble for a bit and then we'll, we'll get into Titus. I, I, one of the issues, I think, is this. Think about this. We, in our modern culture, we've become so preoccupied with the idea of personal freedom and personal choice. What, what is really important to us is the individual's right and freedom to choose whatever they want. And so, any sort of authority that might be seen to curtail that in some way will naturally be considered to be the enemy of personal freedom, won't it? Who are you to tell me what to do? I think this is seen in, in perhaps three ways. The, the general attitude in our culture is one of self-assertiveness. We're, we're taught and, and bombarded, I think, in the media by this idea that you mustn't let anyone tell you what to do or to curtail your freedom in any way. Stand up for yourself. Fight for your right to be free. It's your life. It's your choice. It's your prerogative. If life consists of pursuing individual freedom, I don't know, in my mind's eye, I tend to think in pictures, I've got this idea of someone climbing Mount Everest, and if the peak or the pinnacle of the mountain is the place where individual freedom is, that, that pursuit of climbing up that mountain towards individual freedom means throwing off all restraint, doesn't it? Getting rid of authority so that we can arrive at the top and know personal, individual freedom. To be in control of your own destiny. Not to be told by anyone else what to do or not to do. To really be able to express yourself fully. I was just watching Question Time on Thursday evening. And there was a, there's been a report that has come out about the sexualisation of young people in our culture. And Jermaine Greer, very famous feminist, uh, always full value. Uh, I don't agree with everything that she says, but she's always full value. Jermaine Greer said some shocking things on that programme. And she, she said that rebellion against parental authority is the spark that causes young people to grow and find themselves and learn new things. It's a good thing for kids to rebel against their mums and dads because that's how they find themselves and assert themselves and become free 
and mature individuals. It's a natural part of life, self-expression, self-assertiveness, individual freedom. What a thing to say. We, we could talk about that some more. I think secondly, this is seen in the fact that we have a fear, don't we, of presuming to tell one another what to do or to give any sort of advice to one another. Think about it. If anyone presumes to give you advice, even in a professional capacity, they have to preface it almost, don't they, with, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what to do, but this, this is what I, I, but I'm not telling you what to do. It seems like it's the worst crime in the world, doesn't it? To tell someone else what to do. Why? Because it's curtailing their freedom. I'll give you some advice, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. There was a, there was a Harry Enfield character a few years ago who parodied this. He was an older man, wore a blue cap, and he used to wander around and say, you don't want to do it like that, you want to do it like this. And it was kind of a real, some of you are smiling because you recognise it, a self-righteous older man. He was old-fashioned and annoying, but it touched a nerve because we, we think people who are always telling other people what to do are stupid, don't we? Who's arrogant enough to presume to tell someone else what to do? But I think thirdly, this idea is seen in the, in the lack of respect that people have generally for people in positions of authority. You, you know that I'm involved in business and... Uh, you know, I've, I've worked uh, in, in my own company and, and in other companies. And, and how many times it worked, you hear the phrase, what an idiot. Who made him the boss? No idea what they're doing. Honestly, they do the wrong. And moaning and whinging. It's the, the, even kids in school now. We, we, have, we have classrooms where kids are saying to teachers, you can't tell me what to do. What's that all about? Our whole culture is beset with a lack of respect for any sort of authority. You can't tell me what to do. I think there's a kind of cynicism as well that anyone who is in authority must only be doing it because they're on the, on the make in some way. Um, anyone who's in authority must either be corrupt or they, they must be a control freak because who on earth in this culture would want to be uh, in authority over anyone else in this culture they, they must be some sort of control freak I, I would say uh, we, we live in the kind of world where I, I'm not sure why anyone would want to be in a position of authority given the abuse that they might get for being in authority is it worth it? Sometimes even very aggressive abuse. Well, there, well, there's a bit of rambling anyway about the whole subject of authority and hopefully that just gives us uh, a little bit to think about. Why, why do I highlight all of this? Well, just look with me again at verse 15. Paul is writing to Titus and giving him instructions as to how he will be able to establish effective churches on the island of Crete, where the culture was broken and the church itself was dysfunctional. And he says to Titus, we've already been going through chapter 2, so we're not going to recap that, 
But he gets to the end and he says, Titus, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And if you're thinking, well, that's a kind of, you know, you're just picking on one word there in, a, in that verse. You could pick on anything. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And to show true humility towards all men. Would you agree with me that the theme of these verses is authority? Both in the church and in the country. And that's what Paul is commanding Titus to think about. The reality is that authority was a dirty word in Crete too. It's a dirty word now and it was a dirty word then. Why does Paul have to say to Titus, encourage and rebuke with all authority and get this, he's talking to Christians in church here don't let anyone despise you. Because, horror of horrors, even Christian people here in a church setting were struggling to come to terms with godly authority. Why does Paul have to say to Titus, don't let anyone despise you? Because people in the church were despising him. We've already seen that the dominant trait of the culture was pretty poor in chapter 1. And um, where is it? Verse 12. Paul says, even one of their own poets said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Could be describing Rotherham. The, uh, the, this, is, this is one of their own Cretan philosophers saying this about their culture. And the church is no different. They despise those who are teaching them. And Paul has to say to Titus, you, you need to put a steel rod on your spine, you need to man up, and you need to remind these Christians to stop despising your authority and to listen. What a, what a challenge that is for Titus. We don't know the extent of all the issues. But for Paul to urge Titus in this way shows that there were some significant issues uh, going on in the church. Well, let's, um, let's break it open a little bit as we try and rattle through this verse. First of all, I just want to um, think about the, the first uh, bit of verse 15. When Paul says... These things are the things you should teach. I want to try and tie this together as we go through. He's obviously talking about what he's been teaching in chapter 2 already. And I want to try and summarise this for you. The big idea here is that the Christian gospel changes people's lives. Paul says that in the very first verse of the letter. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In other words, 
there is a message uh, there's content in this message and when that message is proclaimed and people know it and believe it it will change their lives it will impact their lives for good it will change them from being liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons for starters and it will make them sit up and, and be different and it's the power of the gospel and, and what, what Paul also says in chapter 2 he spells it out Rob read to us from verse 11 this idea that the grace of God has come it's appeared from heaven in the person of Jesus it's not a thing, it's a person the grace of God has appeared that brings salvation so here's the deal this is what I want to get to there's two things in the Christian gospel the, the first is that all sin, all failure, all brokenness can be forgiven and washed clean because of the grace and kindness of God. Isn't that fantastic news? Because of grace there is hope for everyone. The Bible says in another place, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know, people think that religion is only for good people. The gospel is for broken people. Jesus comes to rescue and save and forgive and restore sinners. That's one part of the gospel. No sin is too big for grace to deal with. Isn't that fantastic news to hear? But the other part of the gospel is that, and Paul says it here, that the grace of God will teach us to say no to ungodliness. Because the grace that forgives is the grace that transforms. Christianity is not just God letting us off, but God lifting us up to live a new life with his help and power. So the Christian gospel always has two sides to it. Sin can always be forgiven, but the grace that forgives sin will always inspire us to live holy lives. Now the issue with that is that people will oppose that, both of those extremes. When you talk about grace, they'll say, oh, you're being too soft. You need to be harder. But this isn't me making this up. This is the gospel. Sinners can be saved. But when you go to the other side and say, but you you must live a holy life, then people say, no, you're being too hard. (laughs) It's all about grace. You need to come back over here. The truth is, the Christian gospel is both those things at the same time. The Christian gospel isn't forgiveness and it doesn't matter how you live. And neither is it, you need to live like this to earn forgiveness. The Christian gospel is utterly unique and powerful. It forgives sins and inspires us to be holy. Now if you're a Christian and you're saying, yeah, I believe this, but I'm not so bothered about this. Or if you're really focused on this and you've forgotten this, you've you've fallen off the beam one way or the other. The the Christian gospel will keep you right in the centre where you need to be. Trusting Jesus for both forgiveness and for power to live a kind of life that pleases God. 
Now, I, the, the reason I highlight that is because I think that's what Paul means when he says, these then are the things you should teach. You need to be a minister of grace, Titus. Grace that forgives and grace that transforms. These are the things you should teach. The Greek is more complicated grammar than our English. We don't have the tenses in our English grammar. Really, what Paul is saying is, these then are the things you should continually be teaching. There's, there's like, we don't have a tense in English to say that. You should be doing this every day, every week, all the time, continually reminding people of grace. We'll come back uh, to that in a little while. I, I, I want to frame it like that because it will tie up with the end of, of this talk. So keep, keep that thought in your mind. Grace, forgiveness and transformation. I want to think about this idea of being despised though. Don't let anyone despise you. Because that's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? The idea behind that phrase is I don't know how to, how to say this it's the idea of thinking I can ignore this because it doesn't apply to me the Greek word is made up of two parts one of the words means to think and the other means around what it means is to think around it, it, it's a very negative word uh, I, I don't think despise is quite the right word to use what, what, what he's saying to Titus, Titus, don't let anyone ignore you by thinking that this applies to everyone else and not them. It's like if you were firing an arrow uh, at, at a target and the target went, Whoa, I'm going to sidestep that and let it fly past. When you're preaching, Titus, when you're teaching, when you're pastoring, when you're ministering to these people, don't let them be like that target and sidestep what you've just said and try to argue that it doesn't apply to them. Human nature is amazing, isn't it? How often God's word comes to us with power and conviction and force, and we go, whoa, I'm going to sidestep that, I'm going to think around it. It doesn't really apply to me. In fact, I'm really glad they're here, because this really applies to them, and it doesn't really apply to me. We, that's what the word means. He's saying, Titus... Don't let people off the hook. Don't let them ignore you. Press home the grace of God on your people. And don't let them sidestep and think that it applies to everyone else, but not to them. That's what it really means to despise. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, another of his colleagues, Timothy was a younger man. I think Titus was young, but Timothy was younger. And he said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That can be a problem in churches, can't it? We, we've got an assistant coming to join us uh, in August. He's quite a young man. It would be very easy to think, well, he's only young. C.H. Spurgeon said, a man's grace is not measured by the length of his beard. It isn't. 
A man's grace is not measured by the length of his beard. He said something else as well, I can't quite remember, but the length of his beard was one of them. Sometimes you can hear a young man preach and you think, well, he's only young. Doesn't really apply to me. And you go, ooh, sidestep. I'm thinking around it. This word is more subtle than that. He's saying, don't let people think around God's word and to sidestep it. Let me just think about the kind of authority we talk about here. This is important as well. What authority are we talking about here? The authority of Titus is not found in him. Can I make that really clear? My authority as a minister of God's word is not to be found ultimately in me. His job and my job is not to control people with his charisma, what little he may or may not have had, or to entertain them with his witty anecdotes. His purpose is not to make suggestions and give the people helpful hints. I'm not telling you what to do. This might work, it might not. No. His job is to proclaim and to teach the word of God. That's where his authority is grounded. Just look with me at the beginning of this letter again. Chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul writes to Titus and says, At his appointed season God brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. Do you sense what Paul's saying there? What Paul's saying is, it is Jesus Christ himself who has sent me to proclaim this message to you. I'm not just standing here giving you philosophy. I'm not just standing here giving you things that I've just dreamt up, you know, while I've been out walking the dog. My job, by God's command, is to tell you what God thinks. My job is to preach God's word to you. Not my own ideas and inventions. And it's the same for Titus. Paul now is telling Titus to do the same thing that God has commanded him to do. Can you see the chain of authority? Jesus, at the very end of Matthew's Gospel, let me, let me turn to it so I don't misquote it. This is just before Jesus ascended back to heaven. He met his disciples for the last time after resurrection. And it says in verse 18, Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen guys, I'm the king. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go, not with a sword to fight, but with my word and grace. Go and preach it. Tell people what you know now, and I'll be with you as you do that, even to the very end of the age. 
This is the authority we're talking about. So when Paul says, don't let anyone despise you, he's not saying a personal thing here. He's not telling Titus to fight for his rights. He's not telling Titus to protect his own reputation. What Paul is saying to Titus, don't let anyone sidestep God's word. Don't let anyone in your care wriggle out from underneath God's word. Don't let anyone ignore or neglect your teaching, Titus. Teach them these things, remind them, rebuke them, encourage them, but do it all through God's word. Don't make your main concern people rejecting you. Let your main concern be to ensure that people don't reject him. It's not about you. Titus, it's about him. So the issue here is one of people in the church in Crete despising the spiritual authority of men who were there to teach them God's word. Crete had an attitude problem. And within the church too, Titus had to make the people understand that they, they could not wriggle out from under the authority of God's word. He had to remind them not to sidestep it, not to despise it, not to miss it, not to forget God's grace or to use it as an excuse to sin. In, in the Bible there's a lot of examples of leaders who, who were despised. Can we just pause now for a minute and just think about some? John Benton, uh, this was really helpful reading his commentary. I mentioned him at the beginning. People in the Old Testament despised Moses as a spiritual leader. Why? Because he led them in a way that was hard. And they didn't like it. You brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert. You must be barking, man. They despised him because the way he led them was hard. This bloke doesn't know what he's doing. He says he has a hotline to God. Ridiculous. We've had nothing but trouble since he became a leader. Can you, can you, does that ring bells with you? How can we respect him when everything he asks us to do just leads us into more struggle? There are people who will despise leaders who lead them in hard ways. People despise Jesus. Why? Because he was too familiar. Is he not the carpenter's son? And he presumes to tell us what to do. Luke chapter 4, check it out. Jesus, is he not one of us? How dare he? How very dare he? It's too familiar. Sometimes people will despise their leaders because they're too familiar. They, 
People despised Paul in Athens. Why? Because he was too simple. The intellectual philosophers of the day with all their sharp minds and big clever words. Who is this guy Paul? He seems like he's babbling on about nonsense. This gospel he speaks of, it's too simple. Give us something complicated to get our teeth into. Jesus dying for our sins and rising again. We don't want to hear that nonsense. A child could understand that. Give us philosophy, man. They despised him. He was teaching them God's word and they despised him because he wasn't clever enough for them. People despised Paul in Corinth. Why? Because he was too frail. The superhero leaders who were wearing their underpants on the outside of their trousers. They had charisma, confidence, they had drive and verve and ambition. You can imagine them having a conference and all of them coming up and giving reports on the work they were doing. One by one, these great leaders come and strut their achievements. We've seen our church grow phenomenally. We've got huge budgets, fantastic facilities. And then Paul turns up and speaks falteringly and reports that he's just saved time in prison and he's feeling a bit depressed about all the hardships he's been facing. He's weak and burdened rather than excited and inspiring. They despised him because he was too frail. People despised Timothy because he was too young. Well, you get the gist. The issue is that when God's word comes, we want to sidestep it. And we rationalise it in all sorts of ways. He's too old, he's too young, doesn't wear the right clothes. I heard someone say to me yesterday that there was a preacher and they didn't like him because he had an American accent. Well, we'll have that issue next week, won't we? <laughs> this, this is the idea, isn't it? That we, we wriggle out from under the authority of God's word by making excuses about the leaders that God has given to us. And some of it can be very superficial, can't it? He talks too much. He doesn't talk enough. I don't know, his jokes are not funny. It's all... didn't apply to me. It applies to someone else, but it didn't apply to me. Sometimes we might say... I really respect this spiritual leader, but this is just his interpretation. <laughs> That's another one, isn't it? I, I don't really say it like that. That's just his interpretation. Doesn't apply to me. Titus, you mustn't allow people to think around you. You mustn't allow people to ignore you, neglect you, or sidestep you. This is the word of God. There's an attitude here then to be avoided, isn't there? And it's the attitude that says, I'm not listening. <laughs> I can't do that because I can't hear myself talk. I'm not listening. Never mind what the leader thinks. I'm not listening. It's of no consequence to me. All of this is beneath me. It's not going to affect me. I'm not listening. In the end, 
it comes down to pride, doesn't it? One of the questions I have to ask as a Christian leader, and, and probably a pretty poor one at that, the question I have to ask is, are the people in my church teachable? Are they listening? Are they making progress? Are they growing? Are they attentive? Do they take, not me so much, but do they take God's word seriously? Are they hungry to know more of God? More of Christ? More of grace? Or are they all doing this all the time? Sidestepping. Resisting or resenting spiritual authority is not good for your spiritual health. It is sadly true that legitimate authority structures can be abused. And we all know people in all spheres of life who are misguided in their attempts to exert authority. But we need to be very careful that we don't make excuses and, and sidestep the truth of God's word on the basis of, of something in a leader. That sometimes we can rationalise our disobedience and deafness and, and blame other people for that. I understand too that some people can have bad experiences. I come across so many people in Rotherham who've been in churches and have bad experiences where leaders have done foolish things, they've been harsh, and uh, sometimes there's a real sense of injustice there. We need to be very careful that we don't allow our sense of past hate to cause us to be so bitter that we stop listening. I was in a church once and the leaders did this, I was really upset. It may, it may well be that what happened was poor and disgraceful but don't allow that to affect your spiritual health now and prevent you from listening or, or tarring all authority with the same brush I think also it's true that resenting or resisting authority can limit or hinder your usefulness as a Christian there are many Christians who are apathetic towards church because they have issues with authority. It's not for me. I, I don't want to commit. I don't really want to kind of feel like it's too serious. And sometimes Christians can wander about between different churches. They never really settle down with any sense of healthy loyalty. And the problem is, it damages them and it damages the church. You can't function like that with people floating in and floating out. How can you have any sense of purpose or togetherness if there isn't a godly structure there? So resisting or resenting authority is very, it can be damaging to your health. What does Paul say to Titus then? He gives Titus some good advice here. I need to just finish off quick. It's interesting given what I said about grace. Grace that forgives sins and grace that teaches us to be holy. 
Paul says two things to Titus. He said, Titus, you need to encourage and rebuke with all authority. Isn't that brilliant? There are some people who do not attain high levels of obedience, not because they're out and out rebels, shaking their fist and saying, I won't, but rather because they're weak and frail, fearful, mixed up and broken. Those people do not need a finger in the eye. What those people need is encouragement. What those people need to know is this side of what we talked about. They need to know that God's grace is sufficient for them. What they need is an arm around them. What they need is encouraging, not browbeating. If a Christian leader is stupid enough to go in all guns blazing... You'll never make progress. Sometimes people need understanding and patience and good leaders will show that they love and care for people and seek to encourage them. But that isn't everyone. There are other people who are very strong and willful and they just say, I won't. You can, you can talk to me till you're blue in the face. I won't do it. I do not want to live in an obedient way. A good leader will be sensitive to people's needs on the one hand, but he will not fall into the trap of being so afraid of upsetting people that he cannot speak clearly to people who are willful. That's why Paul says to him, encourage and rebuke, because you need to do both. A good leader isn't one who seeks confrontation, but he's also not one who will hide from it just to please people either. Why? Because this is the gospel. Grace that forgives sin and grace that challenges us to be holy. It's not one or the other, but both together. And we need encouragement and rebuke and challenge. Do you know... There are times when leaders get this wrong. Trying to have the wisdom to know when to be tough and when to be tolerant is very hard, isn't it? And you need patience with your leaders who are not perfect and do a difficult job. But remember this, it is not a personal thing if your leaders are seeking to move people to obedience to God's word, there's a, there, that covers a whole multitude, doesn't it, of, of sins. If your leaders care for you and are wanting you to be godly and wanting you to be encouraged, there are times when leaders will get that wrong because they're not perfect and you need to be patient with me and with other leaders. But remember that it's not a personal thing. This is about obedience to God's word. Not obedience to me. This is about God. And about your Christian life. Well what's your attitude like then? Is your attitude helpful to you? And is your attitude helpful to those who read you? <clears throat> 
Are you sidestepping God's word? Are you thinking it just applies to others and not to you? Titus, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone sidestep you, ignore you or neglect you. This is the gospel. I want to um, say one final thing and then we're done. At the very beginning we talked about freedom and authority. The reason why people resist authority is because they think it curtails their freedom. And they, and they rise up against it, fight for your rights, fight to be free. Can I leave you with this thought? Do you know that true freedom does not come by struggling to throw off authority? True freedom does not come by fighting. True freedom comes when we submit to Jesus and his authority. True freedom comes when we come to Jesus. It's the opposite to the way the world thinks. The world thinks, can I, can I say, in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what happened. A serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, you don't want to stay under God's care. You want to go over here, strike out on your own, man. And what has it led to? Misery, death, sin, a broken, sin-spoiled world. True freedom consists in trusting in God and following Christ. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said, Whoever obeys my word or or knows and does my word, he he is the one who will be free. John chapter 8. I'm I'm terrible at quoting quoting things wrong. Let me read that. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom does not come by fighting, it comes by submitting to Jesus. This is the freedom of forgiveness, acceptance, power and privilege as a child of God. When you know that in Christ you are free, it will liberate you to be able to serve and to submit and not to struggle and fight. A Christian really is the only person who can be utterly free and yet submissive at the same time. It's beautiful, like Jesus is beautiful. So I want to leave that thought with you. True freedom doesn't come by fighting, it comes by submitting to Jesus. These then are the things you should teach, Titus. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you.